Pay attention, son. This is for your own good. This is Gateway City Sports. You got to get it done. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Holy cow! Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. Gee, that sounds kind of interesting. Hey, good to have you guys come back. Come on up. Been a crazy couple weeks in sports. Plenty of topics to talk about, chew on. So bring up your favorite koozie. Or if you're an old-timer like me, bring up your favorite huggy. Throw down a seat cushion. Slap on some sunglasses. And because we're about to talk some sports. Gentlemen, start your engines. Here's the snap. Romo looking, dumps it off right side. Intercepted! Intercepted the goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! The rumors are true. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Crying? There's no crying in baseball. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? British young Cinderella is coming out of nowhere. He's got about. 350 yards up, he's going to get about a 500 yards start, don't you think? He's got a beautiful dash one. Dash! Oh, he got all of that one! Sports on the Bleachers, and I'm your host, Don Glenn, and this show is proud to be part of the Gateway City Sports lineup of podcasts. At Gateway City Sports, you will also find articles and news op, uh, art, uh, items about sports going on in the St. Louis Bi-State area. We try to cover as much as we can, but if there's something you like and we don't cover it, I want you guys to let us know about it, because we'll see what we can do. We will put some of our best people on it. At least we'll try. <laughs> hey, uh, check out the other podcast. If you want the latest on the Cubs and Cardinals rivalry, check out the team of rivals with Ron Nuttall, Pete Geddes, and Elliot Dewey. 
We're closing in on football, and I'm hoping that means the end the cards with the A-Train Arlington Lane will be back on the air. And as well as a couple other guys that hopefully we'll get to, we'll get to hear their voices again soon. We've got a few shows on hiatus. Uh, they'll be back with us, we're hoping, shortly. And uh, there's more on the way, too. There's some rumblings. We may have some more uh, uh, options to offer you. So uh, check us out at GatewayCitySports.com or find us on Facebook at Gateway City Sports. Well, there's certainly been a lot of news to go down, and I was waiting for the trade deadline and trying to make sense of it, and I kind of got knocked off track. And in the last few days, I've been working a lot, and the heat's kind of got to me. So uh, I'm getting better now, and, uh, you know, we've had two weeks of news to cover. We've had the passing of two great uh, sports legends. Uh, we've had some NFL suspensions. Uh, golf is gearing up for its postseason uh, we've got a little bit about Tiger Woods and LIV Golf uh, for you. Uh, only three more races left in the NASCAR regular season before it hits its postseason. Uh, and then there's, of course, as I said earlier, the baseball trade deadline. We'll talk about some of that, the winners and losers, and how the Cardinals fared. So, with all that going, let's get to it. So, first in... Uh, NASCAR, we'll start there. Uh, last week, uh, August 31st, Indianapolis, uh, Tyler Reddick won the Verizon 200 at the Brickyard Road Course. Now, that is, race is not a typical road course in that um, it goes through the middle of the infield at the Indianapolis, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, kind of a neat deal, uh, really, uh, but uh, it's different than your, than your standard road course. Now, Reddick did win the Road of America race two weeks ago, or two weeks before that, and he announced that he was leaving Richard Childress Racing to join 23XL Racing, uh, or XI Racing, excuse me, at the end of the 2023 season, so the end of next year. Um, now, you know, that announcement doesn't, he's just not mailing in his uh, his racing, he's uh, going out to, to prove he can. he's worth it. Now, Reddick led throughout the race and survived a hectic restart in overtime to take the event. He led 38 out of the 86 laps uh, the, after winning the pole to the event. Now, turn one is where the access to the infield road course starts. And that was placed uh, that Sunday of numerous accidents. Uh, but most were very minor with very little consequences until with three laps to go, Christopher Bell blew a tire and that set up a restart, again, with, like I said, three laps remaining. And as they came into the corner, Chase Elliott was running second, and he tried to outbreak Reddick, but was spun by Ryan Bailey. Joey Logano entered the turn, making multiple contact, or contact with multiple cars, I should say, and the wall. Uh, then on the road course section, Austin Dillon spun out, leading to another restart in overtime. The restart was uh, not without its drama also as Ross Chastain got bottled up on the restart, missed the corner on turn one, and took the access road through the pit, bypassing the road course and coming out in front of Reddick on the other side. That's not really what the rules say you're supposed to do. Uh, they did get it all sorted out and Reddick took the checkered flag. Uh, now this past Sunday, Kevin Harvick uh, put his name into the playoff picture, if you will. Uh, after winning the Firekeepers Casino 400 at the Michigan, Interna Michigan International Speedway. 
He also, in doing so, broke a 65-race drought. Um, uh, the wind propelled him into the field of 16 with three races to go, or at least they considered. Because this point system, I'm telling you, I don't even understand it. Uh, Harvick caught good fortune when he made the green flag pit stop on lap, lap 158. Later, uh, one lap later, after he got out of the pit stop, uh, the caution came out, and all the leaders came into pit while Harvick stayed out. He ended up be taking over the lead while they're in the pits. Uh, and then when the race restarted at lap 166, Harvick opened up the uh, carburetor. Well, they still have a carburetor. I don't know anymore. And <laughs> took a four-second lead over pole sitter Bubba Wallace. And then he never looked back and took the checkered flag. Uh, with the win, Harvick jumps over Martin Truex Jr., Alex Bowman, Austin Sindrick, and Daniel Suarez in the points chase uh, for a top 16 uh, postseason. Now, now, that also drops Truex out of the top 16. He's trailing uh, Alex, or he's fighting Alex Bowman for that 16th spot. Uh, now, NASCAR's point system is at best a complicated algebraic equation, I think. Um, in the regular season, they've got points uh, for how you finish in the race and uh, extra points for who leads the most laps and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but for the uh, postseason, if you will, there's a different set of points allotted to. You get five points for each win, one point for each stage win, because the races now are broken up into stages. They don't stop the race, but at certain points in the race, and it's usually three, except for, I think, the Coca-Cola 600 and one other race, uh, they have four segments because of their length. Uh, but it breaks it up into three segments uh and uh, the winner of each segment gets a point uh, to go toward postseason. Uh, so you got those two. Then the top ten finishers in the point standings also get uh, bonus points. Uh, that's uh, prorated down. Starts at 15 for first place and goes down to one point. I think it's like 15, 10, 8, 6, something like that, and then down to one. Um and those points get uh, get assessed at the at the end of the regular season. Uh, right now, and I've looked at this chart. I've looked at it, I don't know how many times, <laughs> and uh, you know, kind of closed my eyes, looked at it again, rubbed my eyes, looked at it again. I still can't figure it out uh, because, okay, as I said, uh, let's break it down this way. The current leader is Chase Elliott. He has 847 regular season points. Those don't count other than his bonus points. So it has four wins and five stage wins. And uh, so he gets uh, 20 points for his wins. He gets five points for his stage wins. That's 25 points. And then he gets, if he were to stay at the top, he would get 15 points to, for finishing uh, top of the uh, points uh, status. Plus, each driver that gets into the top 16 gets 2,000 points. I don't know what the 2,000 points are for. Um, <laughs> everybody gets them, so I don't know why, they all, why, why they're why they getting them. Who knows? Uh, so he projects out to 200 or 2,040 points. Now, um, this is where I kind of go, it's like, okay, what's going on here? Because Bowman is fourth in points. And, or excuse me, uh, Bowman is uh, uh, 15th ahead of Truex. Truex is 4th in points, 
And on the other hand, though, he has no wins and seven stage wins. He has the most stage wins of anybody in NASCAR. He's won the most stage. He's won seven of them. Um, so you figure out seven points, and he's fourth in regular season points. So that's another says that's 14 points, which if you give him his 2,000, it'd be 2,014. While uh, Bowman is sitting at 2,006 points. So what is the deal? Now, it could be that maybe he does because he doesn't have a win. Uh, but that doesn't explain uh, the fourth position in the top 16, which goes to Ryan Blaney, who has no wins, five stage wins for five points. He is second in regular season points. That gets him, I think, 10 extra points. Truex is fourth in points. He's got more stage wins, and yet he's out of the top 16. And Blaney is the is uh, fourth of the of I guess we'd call him a four seed. I don't know uh, in the in the top 16. It's crazy. Uh, but they got three more races to straighten it out, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, in golf, Tony Finau, man, that guy is hotter than a firecracker right now. He's won. He won back-to-back -back events. He won the 3M Championship two weeks ago, uh, and then he won the Rocket Mortgage Classic last Sunday at the Detroit Golf Club. He finished five strokes ahead of Cameron Young, and Taylor Taylor Pinder and Patrick Cantlay. Uh, one of the knocks on Finno has always been that he's been considered a top contender, but never had enough to seal the deal. Uh, his wins have all been uh, have been very sporadic and and. Uh, Separate because his his uh, in between wins at the Puerto Rican Open in 2016 and the Northern Trust in 2021, he had 39 top 10 finishes. Now think of this: in a five-year span, he had 39 top 10 finishes, but could not win a tournament. Uh, and and the thing is, he didn't play in 39 tournaments. It's not like he played in 150 tournaments and only had 39 top tens. There was 39 tournaments he didn't even play in. Um, so now this uh, season, he since April 6th, he's played in 11 tournaments. He's got two wins, two second place finishes, one fourth place finish, and he's only missed the cut one time, and that was at the U.S. Open. In the final event for the PGA regular season this past Sunday. Uh, the 2022 Wyndham Championship at Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro, North Carolina, which was uh, won in supreme comeback fashion by Ju Young Kim. Uh, he had a near disaster on Thursday, starting his round with a quadruple bogey on the first hole. Quadru that sounds like the way I play. <laughs> I mean, quadruple bogey? Who does that in pro golf? Uh, very quickly fell 13 strokes off the leader, but... The 20-year-old from South Korea, uh, most everybody calls him Tom, for what reason, I don't know, uh, was able to come back and record a 3-under-67, then added rounds of 6-under-64, 2-under-68, before turning in a 9-under-61 on Sunday, finishing the event 20-under par. Now, you need to think about it. He starts out the first hole of the tournament, 4-over, ends up the tournament 20-under. I, that's just phenomenal uh, to me. Uh, uh, he was on fire like in nobody business, you know. Um, he finished uh, five strokes ahead of fellow South Korean Sun Jae Im and uh, 
John Huh, American John Huh. On the final round Sunday, Kim shot eight under on the front nine for the second lowest total score for nine holes in the, in the event's history. So congratulations to Jun Young Kim. Uh, so uh, now this week starts off the postseason with the FedEx St. Jude Championships at the TPC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee. So uh, we'll see how uh, uh, Kim and some and the other uh, great PGA golfers have uh, uh, will fare. And I'm sticking with golf for a few minutes here. It was revealed uh, by Fox News uh, last week. Uh, they interviewed Greg Norman, who is the CEO of Live Golf. Um, that the, he said Tiger Woods was offered a 700 to 800 million dollar package to play for the Saudi-backed league. Now Norman said the offer was made before he became C CEO. He didn't say whether he opposed it or not, or at least that part wasn't reported. Uh, but now to put all this into perspective, Woods just recently reached billionaire status. So we're talking about almost doubling his network, net worth immediately. Uh, then there is the, uh, this is Woods' career earnings from playing golf over this year is $120 million. So we're talking six, almost, you know, roughly six times what he is making this year is what he was offered to play live golf. Now, Woods rejected the offer outright, according to the sources, and in a press conference before the U.S. Open, he criticized the players who signed up for the new league. Now, when asked about live golf before the Open, Woods had this to say. Uh, uh, the players who have chosen to go to live and go to play there, I disagree with it. He went on, he, and he also went on to say, I think that what they have done is they've turned their back on what allowed them to get to this position. He indicated that some players may come up straight out of the amateur ranks and jumped into live, so they never got the tour experience or the ability to play in big events such as the U.S. Open, or the Masters, or things of this nature. Uh, he said, uh, you know, he addressed the guaranteed contract money by saying, what is the incentive to practice? What is the incentive to go out there and earn it in the dirt? He finished his comments with this statement. I just don't see how that move is positive. In the long term, for a lot of these players, especially if the live organization doesn't get world ranking points and the major championships change their criteria for entering the events, it would be sad to see some of these young kids never get a chance to experience it and experience what we've got a chance to experience and walk these hallowed grounds and play in these championships. So, you know, I tell you this, it takes a lot of guts uh, and, and sticking to your principles to turn down the kind of money that he just turned down. Um, so kudos to Tiger. Uh, really, 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 really kudos to Tiger. Um, and I'll tell you what, let's take a quick little uh, break here. I'm going to uh, kind of take a quick little break for a sip of coffee. And then uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about... Uh, Buying a car. Well, you know, buying a car is stressful, but it really doesn't have to be. At Fifth Street Motors, located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri, they will help you find a vehicle no matter what you or no matter what brand you need. 
Fifth Street Motors believes in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle that will fit your budget. So give Brandon or Don a call today at 573-259-1306 and tell them Don Glenn from Talking Sports on the Bleachers sent you to see them. Not that they know who I am, but hey, get my name around there, okay? <laughs> All right, in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns quarterback Dashawn Wilson was given a six-game suspension by federal judge Sue L. Robinson, who was... Uh, uh, chosen to uh, mediate the decision, um, got Roger Goodell de- uh, declined to hear the the case and turned it over to uh, an appointee. He appointed a federal judge for that. Uh, Watson faced lawsuits from 24 different women accusing him of sexual assault and misconduct. Now, most of this stuff came about um, in complaints that Watson was re- was seeking sexual activity while booking at least 66 different massage massage therapists over a 17-month period while playing in Texas. The suspension that was handed down, uh, Brown's owners D and Jimmy Haslam released a statement saying, we respect Judge Robinson's decision and at the same time empathize and understand that there are many individuals have been triggered throughout this process. We know Deshaun is remorseful and that this situation has caused much heartache to many. And he will continue to work the work needed to show who he is on and off the field and we will continue to support him. Now, two different Texas grand juries declined to file criminal charges against Watson for the alleged sexual abuse and the NFL, by some reports, had been considering a full year suspension. Uh, they do it agree to defer to the judge and have the judge make the ruling. Now, the judge's ruling does fall in the line with past NFL rulings suspending players for sexual abuse. While they were not criminal charges, um, uh, Ben Roethlisberger in 2010, Jameis Wilson and Winston, excuse me, in 2018. Now, um, of course, now Watson's com- different. Uh, the difference here with the Watson case is the sheer amount of complaints. I mean, we're talking 24 different counts. Uh, and as I said earlier, he is 66 different ma- massage therapists over 17 months. Uh, so, you know, who knows how many didn't report uh, what happened. Um, another part of the ruling is the judge said that uh, Watson must now get all his massage therapy from club therapists. Um, so what does this mean for the Cleveland Browns is that unless you make a deal or two, uh, it'll be journeyman quarterback, quarterback uh, Jacoby Brissett, formerly the New England Patriots in Indianapolis and Miami, is in effect going to be your de facto starting quarterback for at least six games. Now, I say at least six games because NFL's not happy here. This is, this is what is starting to boggle my mind. Um, is They are now seeking to appeal the judge's decision after they appointed the judge to arbitrate the case. And the talk is now that they're not happy because they wanted an indefinite suspension and they didn't get their way. You know, uh, so now stay tuned uh, as Goodell has, uh, and I don't remember the name of the gentleman, he just did it today, um, uh, appointed a new person to go over the appeal. Um, and evidently, Goodell thought that because he appointed a woman in the case, that she'd come down hard and more in line with what the league wanted to do. 
you know. Uh, but but since the judge did did not, now the NFL is happy and is not happy, excuse me, and they're appointing a, again, like I said, a second opinion arbiter to the case. It's almost like saying, well, you know, I didn't like the first run. Let's try this again with a different. It's I don't I don't understand it. Uh, now Wilson had the right to appeal the first, and the NF uh, NFLPA. Uh, announced that they were not going to appeal the ruling, but given this new now wrinkle with the appeal by Goodell, uh, the NFLPA has now filed their response brief to his appeal. So this thing ain't going away. Now, here's what I say to you, Mr. Goodell, and I'm going to try and be somewhat respectful, more so than I ever was with Rob Manfred, uh, but I'll oh, hell with it. I'm not going to be respectful. If you want to lay down the law, then quit being a chicken shit and go out and get some higher gun. What are you scared of? After all, the NFL's already got black eyes all over the place from the St. Louis Rams debacle, the issues surrounding the Washington Commanders. Uh, and, and you, you know, one would think you would be humble just to take the win, but no. Goodell, you have to be taking lessons from Rob Manfred and how to screw up professional sports. Be a, If you want to do something about it, then do something about it. You already did. You hired a, a judge to arbitrate the case. The judge didn't go your way, and now you want to change the rules in midstream? Hey, Goodell, you're an idiot. End of story. In other suspension news, the NFL suspended Dolphins owner Stephen Ross through October 17th and fined him $1.5 million. Uh, and the Dolphins was also forfeit the first round pick in 23 and the third round pick in 24 for violating the integrity of the game. Yeah, and we've got Cadell as the commissioner for that. Okay, uh, an NFL investigation found that while the Dolphins did not intentionally lose games, the league concluded that Ross at least hinted at prioritizing draft picks over a winning record in 2019. They also found that he reported, or excuse me, repeated communications from both Tom Brady and Sean Payton without their permission. The NFL also seemed more concerned, than, and I guess rightly so, with tampering aspect uh, of both of those, uh, Brady and uh, Payton, than they were about trying to throw games and tank the season. Uh, but, so, you know, pick for tat one for the other. I mean, it, it, neither one of them is good, if you want to get right down to it. Uh, but the uh, alleged occurrences with Tom Brady occurred in 2019 and then again in 2021. The discussions were said to have been about Brady becoming a limited partner with the Dolphins franchise and possibly serving as a football executive. And there were even discussions about him playing for the Dolphins. Now, as for the hubbub around Peyton... The NFL found that the Dolphins, or Ross, I should say, contacted Peyton's agent, Don Yee, while the coach was still under contract with New Orleans, and that the Dolphins did not get permission from the Saints to talk to Peyton. While serving uh, his suspension, Ross will not be permitted to be present at Dolphins' facility or represent the team or any team for the NFL or at any NFL event. He is also being prohibited from any league meetings until the annual owners meeting in 2023. Oh my God, the NFL is a dumpster fire anymore. I'm telling you right now, folks. It's, I mean, it is. It's a dumpster fire. You had the whole Washington Commanders. You had the, 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 the Tom Flores. 
I I just don't understand, you know, um, why we things can't be the way they were with sports, and these teams and the leagues have any kind of integrity. Has money gotten that crazy? Jeez, a couple of sad things to report, and I, you know, we, we all have it happens, and we and you know, we have to report it. Um, the world of sports has been hit by two deaths of legendary uh, men. Uh, the first is uh, Boston Celtics star Bill Russell passed away. Um, he played, uh, he was 88. He played 13 years with the Celtics, winning the NBA championship 11 times, with the last two being as a player coach. During his career, Russell scored 14,522 points, or 15.1 points per game, grabbed 21,620 rebounds, or 22.5 rebounds per game, and even dished out 4,100 assists, or 4.3 assists per game. Um, I, know, I know a lot of NBA teams that take that right now. I mean, to tell you. He's second in career rebounding behind Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt had 23,924. He led the league four times. Uh, only two other players have done that, uh, Kevin Garnett and Andre Drummond. Uh, four, now, four players did win it more than he did. Chamberlain, uh, who won it 11 times. Dennis Rodman won it seven. Moses Malone, six. And Dwight Howard, four. Or five, excuse me. Um, he was a league MVP five times. Only Kareem abdul Jabbar has won that more at six. He was named to the All-Star team 12 times, totaling uh, 13 years in the NBA. He made the All-Star team 12 times. And again, with the last two being as a player coach. Uh, that just tells you how good the guy was, right? Uh, but anyway, the 12 times he was an NBA uh, All-Star he uh, 120 points, 139 rebounds, and 39 assists. So if you figure that out, that's uh, 10 points a game. Um, what, 11 rebounds a game and three assists a game as an all-star. So that's <laughs> um, I there's teams that would probably take that in a regular game for the for a couple players here. He was awarded the inaugural NBA Lifetime Achievement Award in 2019. Uh, the NBA Finals MVP trophy is named after uh, Mr. Russell. Uh, he was named to the all four uh, to all four anniversary teams, 25th, the 35th, the 50th, and 75th anniversary teams. He was the first player to ever win a college title at the University of Texas. University of San Francisco, an Olympic gold medal, and an NBA championship. He was originally drafted by the St. Louis Hawks in 1956 and then traded on draft day to the Celtics for Cliff Hagen and Easy Ed McCauley. Uh, now, many former stars have come forward to remember Bill and, and what they've meant to him. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar released this uh, tweet uh, Bill Russell was a, the quintessential big man, not because of his height, but because of the size of his heart. In basketball, he showed us how to play with grace and passion. In life, he showed us how to live with compassion and joy. He was my friend, my mentor, my role model. R.I.P., my friend. My deepest condolences to his family.
Michael Jordan had this to say. Bill Russell was a pioneer as a player, as a champion, as, an in, as the NBA's first black head coach. And I'm going to add something here. He was not only the NBA's, he was pro, the pro, uh, first black head coach in pro sports or major pro sports at the time. Uh, but as an activist, he paved the way and set an example for every black player, player who came to the league after him, including me. This is, again, Michael Jordan talking. Uh, the world has lost a legend. My condolences to his family, and may he rest in peace. Now, Bill Russell was a civil rights activist who stow, strove for equality and fairness during some of the most difficult times. And we're talking back in the 50s and 60s here. Um, he, like Henry Aaron, Jackie Robinson, Jim Brown, they experienced the admiration of the fans when they were out there playing and then had to deal with the bigotry of intolerance. Russell would stay the course and be himself. He would per persevere and emerge triumphant. Now, I never saw Russell play. Uh, I may be old, but I ain't that old, folks, okay? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I may have caught a couple of games when I was like seven or eight, but I really didn't know what I was watching then. But I've watched old clips of him, and I've been struck by his tenacity, his athletic ability. And you could just tell when he walked under the court, he was the leader. Uh, his teammates fed off, and you could just see it when he was on the court. You could see it when he was walking around and, and playing. I mean... Uh, you know that's why I probably he was one reason such a successful player coach, uh, because everybody knew he was the leader. Then as NBA Commissioner Adam Silver put it, Bill stood for something much bigger than sports: the values of equality, respect, inclusion that he stamped into the DNA of our league. And now, as I said. I didn't get to see Bill Russell play as much as uh, probably I, I would have liked to. I mean, like I said, I was probably seven or eight uh, when he uh, hung up his cleats, or excuse me, basketball shoes. Um, but, you know, like I said, uh, I can't imagine you know, watching the old clips, like I said, of him play and facing some of the guys he faced back then. You know, uh, Elvin Hayes had came into the league in the late 60s. Uh, you had... You had uh, Chamberlain and and uh, a number of other guys, uh, Willis Reed, and um, you know, uh, to do what he did, to put up the numbers he did, to be the person he was, uh, just speaks volumes of the man and why he's so respected. Now, fortunately, there's also the passing of Vin Scully, who passed away at the age of 94. Uh, Scully, of course, is the legendary Los Angeles Dodger broadcaster. He first entered Dodger TV radio booth in 1950, and then when the Dodgers moved from Brooklyn, I think it was 56, if I'm right, maybe right, something like 56, 58, somewhere, he came with them. He didn't stay in New York. He came, he came with, uh, with them to Los Angeles. Uh, he retired in 2016. A statement by the Dodgers said he was the voice of the Dodgers and so much more. He was their conscience, their poet laureate capturing their beauty and chronicling their glory from Jackie Robinson to Sandy Koufax, Kirk Gibson to Clayton Kershaw. Vin Scully was the heartbeat of Los Angeles. Now, Scully, like many broadcasters, was not limited to just his team. Scully could be heard and seen on TV doing football and golf from 1975 to 1982. He even did his seven-year stint at NBC from 1983 to 1989. Uh, he had many, many great calls over the 66 years of broadcasting, but probably his two most remembered 
uh, would be the first one would be the 1982 NFC Championship game call that has been commonly referred to now as the catch uh, from the touchdown pass between Joe Montana and Dwight Clark. And then, of course, his uh, call of Game 1 of the 1988 World Series, the Kirk, gets Kirk Gibson's game-winning home run. Uh, Vin Scully was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame as a Ford C. Frick Award winner in 1982. He received the Commissioner's Historic Achievement Award in 2014. He has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Ben Scully, a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He also received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2016. Dodgers president and CEO Stan Kasten said in a written statement, The Dodgers' Ben Scully was one of the greatest voices in all of sports. He was a giant of a man, not only as a broadcaster, but as a humanitarian. He loved people, he loved life, he loved baseball and the Dodgers, and he loved his family. His voice will always be heard and etched in all our minds forever. I know he was looking forward to joining the love of his life, Sandy. Our thoughts and prayers go out to his family during this very difficult time. Vin will be truly missed. Vin Scully is one of a handful of broadcasters that fans will always remember. You have Harry Carey in Chicago, Mel Allen in New York, and of course the iconic Chris Jackson doing college football. And then of course, as we and who grew up listening to the Cardinal baseball, Mr. Jack Buck. There's always something when you hear that voice spinning that picture of your favorite team. You hear the excitement in their voice. You hear the emotion. And you realize that person is not just a broadcaster. They're a fan just like you. R.I.P. to Vin Scully. R.I.P. to Bill Russell. Condolences to both their families. Let's get back to some sports uh, before I get too melancholy here. All right, the AP preseason college football rankings are out. And it's the Georgia Bulldogs topping the list, followed by the Crimson Tide of Alabama. The Michigan Wolverines coming in at number three. The Cincinnati Bearcats are four. And the Baylor Bears check in at number five. The second half of the top ten goes like this. The Buckeyes from Ohio State. Six, Oklahoma State Cowboys are seven. The Fighting Irish and Notre Dame show in at number eight. The Michigan State Spartans are number nine. And rounding out the top ten are the Oklahoma Sooners. Starting the next top ten, the Ole Miss Rebels start, uh, start, I said start that list with the Utah Utes being at number 11, or excuse me, 12. Pitt Panthers come in at 13, followed by Clemson Tigers and the Demon Deacons of Wake Forest. Then the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns are 16, Houston Cougars 17, followed by the Kentucky Wildcats at 18, BYU Cougars at 19, the Wolfpack from North Carolina State round out the top 20. And the final five are the Arkansas Razorbacks, Oregon Ducks, Iowa Hawkeyes, Utah State Aggies, and the San Diego State Aztecs. Finishing just outside the top 25 were Texas A&M, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Purdue, University of Texas, San Antonio, Army, Fresno State, Coastal Carolina, UAB, and Air Force. Uh, speaking of college football, I do hope to have uh, training camp. Uh, training camps are underway. I'm really working to try and get somebody on. Uh, we can talk a little Big Ten football, a little Illinois football. You know, I remember when I played football in high school. And, you know, I was an offensive lineman. Yeah, okay. 
I wasn't that, I'm not that big, I wasn't that big, I played for a small school, all right? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I remember the coach, Coach Miller always told us, the number one job of a lineman was protect your quarterback. Well, just like a quarterback, you need protection, and that's why you need Allstate. You see, the Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They can protect your home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business. They offer life insurance, investments, and so much more. They have a customized approach that is unique to you and your situation. It's to make sure that you and your family and your assets are properly protected. They have great rates they have, and savings as well. So give Sean and his team a call today, 636 764-6294. They can give you an insurance quote right over the phone. Even call if you just want to talk sports. Because, you know, hey, they do that too. We all have busy lives and they realize that. You know, time becomes a premium. So you can email Sean and discuss your coverage options that way. That address is seanwiley at allstate.com. And remember, you are in good hands with Allstate. Well, okay, unless you've been living under a rock the last two weeks, you have heard the baseball trading deadline has come and gone. Um, they normally starts around the 23rd. They call it, the, they say, about 10 days prior to the end of the, the deadline. This is the, what they call the trading period, although you can trade at any point in time from the season starts to the deadline. Uh, so I went back to the 23rd to kind of track the trades as they happened, and you know, as as usual, the first few days they were kind of sporadic. Uh, the and weren't really some that many big names being thrown around. Uh, the first trade was July 23rd. The Mets traded uh, uh, right-hand pitcher Colin Holderman for Pittsburgh's first baseman Daniel Vogelbach. Uh, on the 27th, the Yankees did get a, a fairly big name in obtaining Andrew. Benatendi from Kansas City for minor league right-hand pitchers Chandler Champlain and Beck Way. Yes, that is his name, folks. Beck Way. B-E-C-K-W-A-Y. I am not making that up. And left-hand pitcher T.J. Sikima. Or Sikima. Uh, then uh, the Mets also made another deal. Uh, this time on the 28th, they traded Cincinnati. They picked up uh, Tyler Naquin and left-handed pitcher Philip Dial. The Reds got minor leaguers second baseman Hector Rodriguez and right-hand pitcher Joe Acuna. Uh, Cincinnati wasn't done. The next day, they sent right-handed pitcher Luis Castillo, the second big name to fall, to Seattle for minor league short stops. Short stops. I said stops. Two of them. Novelli Marte and Edwin Aurora, and right-hand pitcher, pitchers Levi Stout and Andrew Moore. Uh, now, the Cardinals dumped, jumped into the fray on the 30th, and they sent second baseman shortstop Edmundo Sosa to Philadelphia for left-handed pitcher Jojo Romero. The Cubs made a deal with the Dodgers, sending right-handed pitcher Chris Martin to L.A. in exchange for second baseman Jack McKinstry. Uh, Tampa Bay dipped their toes in the water, getting outfielder David Peralta from Arizona for catcher Christian Serta. Uh, the Cubs uh, were at it again on the 31st. This time they sent infielder Dixon Machado to San Francisco in exchange for right-handed pitcher Reynel Espinal. Okay, I hope I pronounced that right or came close. 
then the floodgates opened up. And like I said, until now, all you really seen was the Benatendi deal, the Castillo and Naquin. Everybody's been doing a pretty much a pedestrian walkthrough. They were all waiting on the Soto move. Who was going to get Soto? My gosh, who's the mystery team? Okay, well, you know, I don't think there's ever any mystery about it. We all knew who the players were. It was going to be the Cardinals, Potters, and Dodgers. Excuse me a second. But there were still many moves to be made. And, and, and it always happens in trading. You got that one player that people think are going to move this day. Well, and, and it becomes, uh, uh, you know, the name this player watch, if you will. So, But Atlanta was the hot topic. And much like last year when they acquired an entire outfield in one day, uh, they didn't quite get that, but it kind of felt like it as uh, – uh, they traded uh, Washington and sending infielder Ihari, Ihari, excuse me, Adranza to Washington in exchange for outfielder Trey Harris. Then they traded for outfielder Robbie Ghost, Grossman from Detroit in exchange for left-hand pitcher Chris Anglin. And then they got right-hand pitcher Jake Odorizzi from Houston in exchange for Will Smith. Um, and Houston and Boston also made uh, multiple moves. Uh, along with the trade with Atlanta, uh, Houston was involved in a three-way deal with Baltimore and Tampa Bay. Houston got outfielder, first baseman Trey Mancini, and right-handed pitcher Jaden Murray. Baltimore got right-hand pitcher Seth Johnson and Chase McDermott, while Tampa Bay ended up with uh, uh, Jose City. In a separate trade, Boston also received or uh, yeah re received Christian Vasquez for a player to be named later. Uh, Boston required Tommy Pham from Cincinnati for a player to be termed, to determined later, and they traded the White Sox, sending left-handed pitcher Jake Diekman to Chi-Town for catcher Reese McGuire. Uh, the Yankees made a couple deals, sending right-hand pitcher Hayden Wesneski to the Chicago Cubs for right-hand pitcher Scott Efros, then hooking up with the Oakland in a deal that saw the Yanks get more pitching help, uh, getting right-hand pitcher Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino. Uh, they sent uh, left-handed pitchers J.P. Sears and Ken Wildenchick uh, and right-handed pitcher Luis Medina and second baseman Cooper Bowman to the Athletics. Tampa Bay picked up outfielder Jermaine Tapia, or sent excuse me, German, uh, outfielder Jermaine Tapia to the Dodgers for right-handed pitcher Garrett Clevenger. Then uh, Kansas City sent third baseman Emmanuel Rivera to Arizona in exchange for Luke Walker. St. Louis got back into the hunt and got some rotation and bullpen depth, picking up left-handed pitcher Jose Quintana and right-handed pitcher Chris Stratton from, Stratton from Pittsburgh in exchange for right-handed pitcher Johan Oviedo and infielder Malcolm Nunez. Now, the shocker trade of the day, if you will, is the Milwaukee Brewers trading left-handed closer Josh Hader to San Francisco, or excuse me, to San Diego, for left-handed pitchers Taylor Rogers and Robert Glasser, and left-handed pitcher, uh, or excuse me, right-handed pitcher uh, Denison Lemon and outfielder Estery Ruiz. Um, then came the day. Okay. Here's when he moved. August 2nd, San Diego was the big mover. And it was the biggest move of the of the trading deadline as the Washington Nationals sent Juan Soto and Josh Bell to San Diego for left-handed pitcher Mackenzie Gore, 
right-handed pitcher Jarlin Susanna, outfielders Robert Hassel and James Woods, uh, Wood, and shortstop C.J. Abrams. The deal was also supposed to have included Eric Hosmer, but he exercised his non-trade clause, and Luke Voigt was sent instead. Uh, San Diego did then later deal Hosmer to Boston with second baseman Mac Ferguson and outfielder Croy Rozier for left-hander Jay Groom. Uh, then they traded shortstop Victor Acosta to Cincinnati for infielder Brandon Drury. Now, not satisfied there, they traded catcher Cam Gallagher to Kansas City for outfielder Brent Rooker. San Diego was busy. Uh, we'll see how that works out for them. Uh, the Angels were next most active team on Tuesdays. They made a pair of deals, one with the or a pair of deals with the Phillies, excuse me, sending Brandon Marsh for Logan O'Hop, uh, and the other trading Noah Syndergaard for Mickey Maniac and Jadel Sanchez. Then they sent right-handed pitcher Rosale Iglesias to Atlanta for right-handed pitcher Jesse Chavez and left-handed pitcher Tucker Davidson. Minnesota made three deals on the last day, getting Jorge Lopez from Baltimore for right-handed pitcher Yanir Cano and Juan Nunez, a left-handed pitcher Cade Povich, and Jordan Rojas. They also picked up infielders Spencer Steer and uh, Christian, oh boy, Encarnacion Strand, and, and left-handed pitcher Steve Ajar to Cincinnati for Tyler Molly. Uh, they uh, then they picked up uh, Michael Fulmer from Detroit in exchange for Sawyer Gibson Long. Philadelphia's involved in the third deal. This one with the Cubs getting David Robertson, a right-handed pitcher, for a right-handed pitcher Ben Brown. Okay. The Dodgers made two deals: one with the Yankees to acquire Joey Gallo, and another name of uh, note that got traded uh, for right-handed pitcher Clayton Beater. Then they sent infielder outfielder Jake Lamb to Seattle for cash considerations. Uh, also, a cash consideration deal, Baltimore sent uh, Tampa Bay outfielder Brett Phillips for the same cash considerations. He must that must be a great player with a lot of brothers. Cash considerations, I don't know. Uh, the Blue Jays made a couple of deals. They traded shortstop Jordan Goshens to Miami for right-handed pitcher Anthony Bass and Zach Pop. Then uh, they got uh, Whit Merrifield from Kansas City for infielder Samad Taylor and right-handed pitcher Max Castillo. Uh, the Mets acquired Darren Ruff from San Francisco in exchange for infielder J.D. Davis and left-handed pitchers Thomas Zapaki and Nick Zwack. Whatever happened to names like Green, Roy, I mean, I don't know. And also right-handed pitcher Carson Seymour. Uh, the Cardinals picked up another arm, getting left-handed pitcher Jordan Montgomery from the Yankees in exchange for outfielder Harrison Bader. So who were the winners and losers in all this mess? If you caught all that or didn't catch it, go back and listen to it again. I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> uh, but clearly it was the Padres that made the biggest moves, getting Bell and Soto and Hayter. I mean, those three moves alone. Um, and then you add Drury to the mix. You know, he's going to play a good shortstop till Tatis gets back. And then when Tatis gets back, you know, now you've got uh, – um, a guy that's got 20 home run pop coming off the bench. So, you know, you, you got to look at it that they uh, clearly won, uh, at least name-wise, of what they're getting. I mean, um, we'll see. Now, the talent they gave up is mostly young talent, and they can replenish it. I mean, it's not any real huge. I mean, I think Woods, or excuse me, uh, Hassel was the 
biggest name they uh, out of their uh, minor leagues that they sent to Washington. Um, and uh, you know when you, but now I don't. It's going to be interesting, um, like I said, because I think they can do they can hold on until 24. Because in 24, Soto will be a free agent, and I just don't see San Diego trying to sign him when they're still dealing with the contracts of Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, because Tatis is going to want to get paid about, I think he and Soto at the same time, if I'm not mistaken. So, or maybe he's a year after. So something like 24, 25, it strikes me as when uh, uh, Tatis's contract is due. Um, it's, you know, they're going to want to keep him. They're going to want to keep Machado. I do not see them getting and shelling out half a billion dollars, which is the reported haul it's going to take to get Juan Soto to sign with somebody. I'm not sure any team's going to pay a half a billion. There may be, I mean, uh, yeah, maybe the Yankees might. Uh, maybe the Dodgers might. Uh, but, I mean, let's face it, people. You're going to pay somebody $50 million to play a flipping kid's game. Okay? Now, I know I'm old and I've said it before. I am an old fart. All right? And I make no bones about that. Uh, I mean, I remember the day when it was, at least around St. Louis, the talk was, do we really want to pay Ozzie Smith $6 million to play shortstop? Okay. Anybody nowadays would say that, that was crazy talk back then. And maybe a few years from now, saying uh, nobody wanted to pay $50 million a year for Juan Soto would be crazy talk. I don't know. But uh, this seems like a huge amount to me for for somebody playing a kid's game. That just really is. Uh, now, Josh Bell's a free agent at the end of this season. Uh, so he's going to command some money. Um, not near what the length of Soto is going to get, uh, but he'll be up for some. So they may re-sign Bell. Uh, what the Padres might do, they might go ahead re-sign Bell and then let uh, let uh, Juan do his walk in '24. You just never know what's going to happen. Now the Yankees also did pretty well, picking up Benintendi, um, getting rid of Joey Gallo, um, then getting getting uh, Montas and Trevino uh, as well. Uh, now Harrison Bader, uh, he's injured right now with a plantar fasciitis. Uh, I think it's on his left foot. I'm not sure one of the one of his feet. Um, so he's still on the IL. He's had some setbacks trying to rehab. So, but I think he will be somebody that can really solidify their outfield because their outfield defense is is not good. I mean. Uh, they got guys that can hit. They just ain't got guys that can catch. Um, so, um, but I think Harrison Bader will fill that role pretty well for them. Now, the, the one thing is, and there is a, there is a little provision of the Bader deal. I'll go back to it in a second. A little provision there where if uh, Bader is not available come playoffs and the Yankees are in the playoffs, um, then the Cardinals will be... Uh, obligated to give them a player to be named later as compensation for not having um, Bader in in the postseason. So we'll see how that ends up. Um, the Astros also dealt with some needs. Uh, catcher, first base, DH, lefty reliever. They didn't get everything uh, or give up anything they'll miss anytime soon. And they didn't really get everything, but they got the majority of most of what they needed. So they they filled some holes. Minnesota came up with some good acquisition in pitcher Tyler Maley, uh, in addition to both Fulmer and Lopez. It makes their makes their pitching talent really good. 
Uh, and uh, Mali is not a free agent to 24. Lopez is not a free agent to 25. So they're going to have him for a couple years and may be able to get him to stay. Uh, now, for those teams who swung and missed the Red Sox, I mean, <laughs> can anybody tell me what the hell's going on in Boston? I mean, they send out stud catch, a stud catcher in Vasquez and then pick up Tommy Pham and Eric Hosmer. Uh, and now part of the Hosmer deal, uh, of course, is that the Padres will be paying the majority of Hosmer's salary. So I guess it works out that way. But Hosmer is not right now the type of hitter that would benefit from playing in Fenway. And you know, at best, they chose to they chose to tread tread water and hoping they can stay in a wild card race. Uh, and they just might because of what the Orioles did. Um, you know, another team you got to scratch your head. You know, you went 16 and nine in July. You actually pulled ahead of the Red Sox. You are in the playoff discussion. And then you turn around and you trade Trey, Lan, uh, uh, Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez. Two people who are obviously part and the big, a big part of that 16-9 and nine record you had in July. Um, and, I, and this is the, the statement that Elias, uh, the, the manor, Michael, general manager Mike Elias said, I think the 500 record we have, winning the last couple of months that we have, the moments we have has made this much more difficult decision and much more complicated trade deadline than it would have been or uh, or that any of the other past ones have been. Ultimately, I have to tether my decision to the outlook and the possibilities of this year. We have a shot at the wild card right now, but it's not a probability that we're going to win a wild card. We have all different ways of looking at it and moves that make that that we make can strengthen our chances for next season and the season beyond and the one beyond. There is something there we have to continue to consider despite the tremendous pro progress of our players have made this year. Now I have to wonder, you know, I got to wonder, are they strengthening their chances with Seth, Seth Johnson, who is headed for Tommy John surgery, and two other single-A pitchers? That's their, that's their future? That's their guys in rookie. You know, okay. You know, if I'm an Orioles fan, I'm seriously considering. Of course, they really don't have much choice. Okay, never mind. Um, yeah, because all you got is either Boston or Washington. Boy, what a what a uh, teams that did upgrade somewhat. The Phillies getting Brandon Marsh and Noah Syndergaard have solid depth uh, and bodes well for them getting their name into the uh, playoff picture. The Mets picking up pieces as they did should help them stay uh, atop the East with Tyler Naquin and Ruff in the outfield. Volgoback should be some good bench help. Um, they're three and a half games ahead of Atlanta. Um, these moves might just keep them there. So, uh, we'll see. The Dodgers, not that they had to make any moves, but picking up Joey Gallo and Jake Lamb just adds a little more depth to their team. I think they just did it to piss everybody off. They really you know. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, while they didn't win the Juan Soto sweepstakes, they did add to a rotation that looked like Swiss cheese or a mash unit, if you will. Uh, and they added a bullpen piece, which helped wean them off of weak arms like Drew Verhagen. Uh, now, specifically about the Cardinals, I'll finish up, try to finish up as quick as I can here. I know this is kind of a longer podcast than I normally do. Uh, but specifically about the St. Louis Cardinals, as I said at the last, on my last podcast, I didn't think we were going to get Soto. I said it then. I said, I don't think we're getting Soto. I think we're going to have to concentrate on the pitching and fill those holes as needed. And we did that. 
Um, now, most fans wanted Soto, and to win the division, to get the World Series, we didn't need Soto. And I've taken a lot of heat for that stance, but I'll stand by it. I know that our even our daily discussions on Gateway City Sports uh, around, as I call it, the water cooler, our, uh, our Twitter line, our, our Twitter uh, account that we talk with back and forth. You know, I was constantly in the minority, and sometimes I was the whole minority. Uh, but I was trying to do was view it as analytically as possible. And to me, there were four reasons that we didn't make the trade for Soto, or the and you know, this this is the way I look at it. Uh, first is that, and while it may sound funny, but outfield depth and dynamics. And, and I know people are saying, what are you talking about? But the Cardinals have always had the moniker of a strong defensive outfield. Hence, two gold glove outfielders last year in Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill. Now, with Bader on the I.L., Dylan Carlson has been the de facto center fielder. Uh, Soto is not on the same level defensively as any of our guys. Uh, and that's including Lars Newtbar. Nothing against Lars Newtbar. Uh, but he's no Dylan Carlson. He's no uh, uh, Tyler O'Neill, And Soto ain't even as good as him. So don't tell me we're going to help our outfield by getting Soto. Help it out offensively, but try to help it defensively. And now, according to most reports, Carlson was tabbed as a name to be linked at the top of the Soto trade, or at least one of the names wanted by uh, Washington. I think the other one was, was uh, uh, Nolan Gorman, of course. Uh, um but if you traded Carlson, then who plays center field? Do you move O'Neill over? Do you give Newt Barr the chance? Do you bring up Burleson? I mean, any any one of the three is not really, in my mind, a, a, was a good option. So, you know, and, and the outfield we have works together pretty well. Even with Harrison Bader out, uh, you've got Newt Barr that has been able to fill in, um, you know, in right field lately. Uh, I think he played center a couple days ago. Um so he can kind of move around a little bit. Uh, you've got um, Corey Dickerson. You still got some decent outfielders that can that can that can play uh, without having to assign Soto. Um, you know Dickerson probably I, I would have, I would definitely have Dickerson or excuse me Soto over Dickerson. I'll give I'll give you that. Um, but uh, um, it just the dynamics to me weren't weren't there for that. Uh, second is prospects. Okay, yes, I know. You've got to give up prospects at times to get players you need. I get that. Understand it. It's not a problem. Everybody says, oh, Don, you don't want to deal prospects. No. Fine. Deal them. But make sure we deal the right ones for the right price. You know, if we give up, if we give up what was reported to have been, and, and of course, what reports to be the price, usually never is the price, uh, I remember when we traded for Nolan Arenado. Everybody said it was going to be Gorman, Libertor, da da da, and you know we gave up um, virtually nobody, to tell you the honest truth. Um, so, uh, but you know I, I know prospects you got to deal with, and and we do have a, a backlog. I mean, right now that's why Nunez left uh, because you've got Jordan Walker in front of him, and Jordan Walker's got Nolan Arenado sitting in front of him for the next seven eight years. You know, so if, if Jordan Walker may have to find a new position, position to play. That's why Gorman's playing second base. He was a third baseman. So I understand the idea that you got to have that that you are sometimes will have to deal prospects because you've got a glut of them. But again, when you've got a kid like Walker, who is number six according to MLB pipeline, a uh, number six prospect in all of baseball, um, you got to make sure that if you're going to deal him. 
that you're going to get something you A, that you need, B, that you can use, and C, that's going to be there for a while. And that wasn't Juan Soto. Okay? I'm sorry, folks. This is the way it is. Okay. Third, priority was going into the season should have been pitching. It should have been, and I'm going to say it another again, it should have been pitching. Mo did the same thing he did last year going into the season. Oh, we'll just make up for with guys until people are back. And what has happened? We've got two good starting pitchers. Or, well, until the trade deadline. You had Wainwright, Michaelis. Hudson is struggling. Flaherty is out. Oh, he's going to be due back. And, yeah, okay, well, he was due back once and ended up back in the aisle. Steven Matz was, I thought, and actually I, I liked signing Steven Matz in the offseason. I thought it was a very good sign. Um, and, but, you know, look at some of the other guys we signed in the offseason. Drew Verhagen, Mark Whitgren, T.J. McFarland, I agreed with also. Uh, I don't know what happened to him, but he's not the pitcher he was last year. Aaron Brooks and Packy Naughton. Now, Naughton has actually worked out, worked out pretty good, but you've had a very ineffective uh, play from Verhagen, from Whitgren, from McFarland. Um, again, it was Moe didn't put a priority on the pitching, and now he has, and now we, we, we're lucky we got what we got. Um, but uh, at least they addressed that error. And, and here, the, the fourth one that I reason I said they weren't going to get Soto, and probably actually this should have been the first reason, is the inability of the Cardinal front office under John Mazalak to broker any big mid-season deal like that. He historically, he's made a couple, Don't I'll say he's made a couple, but historically, he does not make a good mid-season big deal or doesn't make one at all as opposed as what we ended up with last year when we got uh, J.A. Happ and John Lester at the deadline. Now, don't get me wrong. They did not. They did an okay job. They helped us get into the playoffs. But, I mean, really? That, that was your big move for last year? And, and this year, I, you have to look at it again and say, even though I do like Quintana, I do like... Uh, uh, Montgomery. I think Montgomery is going to be a steep. I, 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 I'm going to predict this. I think Montgomery is going to be a better pitcher than what we've got currently on the in the rotation right now. And I'm talking Wainwright, Michaelis, Hudson, Mats, and Quintana. I think Montgomery, when it's all said and done, is going to be better than all five of them. Uh, maybe well okay maybe not maybe not uh, Wayne right Wayne knows Wayne knows Wayne knows, but uh, I think I think Montgomery is going to be the is going to be one we're going to look back at and say that was a good trade I really do think that's going to be the case with him um, so Jose Quintana what we got we got Jose Quintana thirty uh, three old left hander who's pitched for the White Sox the Cubs the Angels the Giants the Pirates he's been He's been around a few times. Uh, he's a mostly a 500 pitcher, 86-85 record. Uh, he is a solid number three type pitcher, though. He's the kind of guy that, that is going to go out there every fifth day. He's going to get you five, six innings every fifth day. Uh, ERA mostly in the mid threes, sometimes up to the fours. Uh, average strikeout to walk ratio is near three. He 
has been susceptible to a home run in the past, uh, but this year he does seem to have that under control with only seven home runs allowed in 103 innings. Um, he does have a 45% ground ball rate, which is going to help him with given our red the ed, infield that uh, the Redbirds have with with uh, Arenado and and whether it's uh, De Young or or Edmund at short or Ed and, and and either Edmund or Gorman at second or even um, Donovan at second and then Goldie at first with that infield, I, you know, 45% ground ball rate that's that's gold. Um, he has a 38% hard hit rate, which is good. I mean, it means more soft contact than not his, his uh, uh, batters have against him. Now, he has a 20% strikeout weight rate, which I could be better, but he's actually also never been a strikeout pitcher. Uh, he does average, like I said, over five innings a game. So, you know, somebody that you can put um, in between a, a Michaelis and a Wainwright to kind of have three solid games of five innings plus. Um and I think uh, the next guy I want to talk Jordan Montgomery is the same thing. Uh, he's going to get you five, six innings a game. Um, he's uh, 29 years ago. He's like Quintana, 45% ground ball rate. Um, a little bit uh, strikeout to walk ratio, a little bit better at over three. Uh, right now, currently, he has a 4.2 strikeout to walk ratio. Um, a very good whip of 1.099, a career ERA of 3.94, which seems might be a little high, uh, but um, given where he was pitching in Yankee Stadium, eh, you know, I'll take that. Uh, now, the bullpen piece we got, Chris Stratton, who came with Quintana, he's a 31-year-old right-hander. He's pitched for the Giants, the Angels, and the Pirates. Uh, now, his ERA is high, but again, uh, I think... A lot has to do with where he pitched. Uh, at least the you know the last, the last couple of the uh, Angels and the Pirates. Um, yeah, he only has about a 40% ground ball rate, but that's still pretty good as a relief pitcher. Uh, a near three strikeout to walk ratio, and if he can keep his pitches down, if he can learn to get a little bit more ground ball contact, I think he's going to be uh, work out very well. Now. Um, of the three, those three, uh, Quintana is a free agent next year, um, but uh, Stratton is arb arbitration eligible, and I believe so is Jordan Montgomery. And, and Stratton won't be, I think, until 24. Jordan Montgomery free agent in 25. So we've got a couple years to actually, if they work out, uh, to keep those guys around. And they're not that old that we can keep them around for three, four years and, and get some use out of them. Uh, now, as for JoJo Romero. Uh, 25-year-old lefty assigned him to AAA Memphis. I think he's just a depth piece. I don't see him really impacting the Major League roster anytime soon. Uh, as for what we gave up, Edmundo Sosa. Uh, a lot of people liked Edmundo. I liked Edmundo. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think he was, uh, he's a very good defensive player. Uh, but his primary role was utility and shortstop. And with Brendan Donovan, with uh, now, since we've brought uh, um, uh, DeYoung back up, you've got Edmund can play multiple positions. So having a multiple position, light-hitting player, just uh, he wasn't needed anymore. Um, so hopefully he'll get a better opportunity to develop into a role player uh, with Philly, and uh, we wish him the, the best. The same, uh, Johan Aviedo has some very good stuff. Um, and I think he's still a candidate. Uh, you just don't know what he's a starter, whether he's a long man bullpen piece. Um, but
But I think uh, his defining role was always in a state of flux with St. Louis. I mean, sometimes they wanted him to start. Sometimes it was middle relief. I don't think they could ever make up their mind. Hopefully, he'll get to a point where maybe they'll be able uh, uh, to make up his mind or make up a mind in Pittsburgh and give him a role that he can fit into. Uh, Malcolm Nunez is a minor league third baseman. Uh, again, like I said, he was blocked by Arenado and Walker. And he's still only 21, so he still has time to develop and get a little bit better. Uh, but uh, uh, there was just no real chance for him to advance even beyond AAA, really, uh, with St. Louis. So moving him was the best idea. Uh, Harrison Bader, I know a lot of people saw when they dealt that new youth. Some people were probably clapping and opening a bottle of champagne. Others were probably looking at, looking at their TV screens or listen, looking dumbly at the radio going, what? Uh, it's a good move. It, it, it is a good move. Um, for the Yankees, as I said earlier, I think it gives them a very good center field uh, uh, glue piece to their outfield that's going to help their outfield make their outfield better. Uh, I think him leaving for St. Louis means that now we can we can kind of adjust the outfielders we've got because uh, you know we have a couple down in the minors that are you know Connor Capel, uh, Alec Burleson uh, that are going to be looking for a place to play here pretty soon. Um, so I think maybe um, having one of those guys, uh, having those guys be able to. You also have Lars Newtbar. Um, you know, I mentioned Corey Dickerson earlier, but uh, I really don't see Dickerson sticking around. I see uh, Dickerson leaving uh, at some point. Um, so we'll see how the outfield what the the true outfield ends up being here. I think they're still working with that. I know Newt Bar played uh, center in the series against the Yankees. Uh, Carlson was back in right. Um, Carlson played very good center field. Uh, I think uh, O'Neill in the left. Uh, as long as you've got two-thirds of that stabilizing outfield that you had before, I think uh, if you put uh, somebody else in center, if you move Carlson to center and put someone else in right, you're still going to have a pretty solid Outfield. So all in all, uh, while some may not have liked the idea of not getting a big splashy name in the trade deadline, what Mosaic and the front office did was address what we needed. We needed pitching. They addressed it. They got us some decent ones. Now, had they not gotten caught up in the whole Juan Soto deal, could they have gotten better pitching? Quite possibly. I think there were some deals out there that could have been made. I, you know, uh, but. You know, Castillo for one. I don't know if the Reds would have traded him in division like that. Uh, but, you know, you could have maybe done a three-way deal somehow to to, to get him. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I think they just got too caught up in the Soto deal. And then by the time they realized that they were actually out of it, uh, they had to scramble to kind of figure it up. And he, he still came out okay. Uh, I don't, you know, am I am I saying this guarantees us a playoff or a division or a World Series? No, I never guarantee that. Uh, but I think we're a better team now than we were before August 2nd. I really do. I really, really do. Hey, uh, i got to get out of here. It's, uh, I appreciate you guys sticking around so long. Thanks for listening. As always, go to Gateway City Sports. Check out the articles in the podcast. Check out the show's website at talkingsports-otb-gcs.onpodium.com. 
www.thebigcoachmovement.com. Subscribe and get notifications of new podcasts when they come out and available. Always uh, and as always, check your all any place you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, that Google Podcast, Apple Music. We're on all of them. Uh, hit the show up on his Twitter page at tsotbgcs or hit me up on my Twitter page at big d underscore gcs. You can also email the show tsotb.gcs at gmail.com So, we'll see you next time when we are talking sports on the bleachers.